Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Chelsea Brennan. She is the founder of Smart Money Mamas. And you are in store for a phenomenal, phenomenal episode here. Uh, there was so much, it was so full of chock full of like ideas and strategies, right, Andressa? It was. It I, just I felt that I we needed like a couple of days. Yes. Her. Yes. But you got some great, great takeaways. And I think what was most most helpful, selfishly, and you'll hear this in the episode where <laughs> I uh I just, you know, kind of get get uh share my soul and share what what's coming up for me, but around like paying our kids and, and teaching them money lessons. Um, and she gave some great, great suggestions. I'm not going to give it all away right now, but how to truly move through like this whole handout for the chores hang up that some people might have, or I have versus like allowance and being part of the family and the kind of the economy of the household. And she goes into some, some, very specific strategies around that, that I'm literally going to use as soon as possible. That's how great they were. It, it is because we we want to start talking about money with our children as early as possible when we want to create that, that healthy relationship, right? And another part that she talks about is like our story, our own story, our labels, we are savers, we are spenders and how that impacts our relationship with our partners and how we deal with money. So she shared very, very simple and effective exercise that I'm not going to share this with you right now, but it's, it's very remarkable how we are able to see money from a different perspective when we consider our feelings. Now we think about money, but our feelings... And um, she even used Maslow theory here to connect with money. So needless to say, you can miss this because money, it's such an important tool in real estate. It's essential for your success. So enjoy this episode. Interest rates are sky high in 2023 and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an eight, nine or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with Rent to Retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. 
You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Welcome back, everyone. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investors Show, where we are on a mission to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. Right, Andressa? That is true. That is true. Whatever balance means to you, Andressa likes to jump in and (laughs) say that, but I just then take it over and say it anyway. But um, (laughs) we have Chelsea Brennan on our show today. We are so excited. We had her. uh, She was one of our featured speakers at our uh, annual summit, our Investor Summit this year. And so excited to have her on our show because there was so much we were kind of unpacking together around money and uh, just so excited to have her back on. So welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to be with our community today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get to chat with you guys again. Yeah, looking forward to it. As we always do, we're going to jump into uh, Chelsea and her story here in a moment. Um, But we always like to kind of give a quick tip or a quick Mm -hmm. shout out to something, right, Andressa? Yes, that's correct. Jump in. So there is so much discussion right now. I don't know uh, in terms of other real estate investing circles, but there's so much discussion right now about buying a vacation rental, short-term rentals. And I selfishly am very... um, I, I'm following all those conversations because we're heavily in multifamily. And I'm like, I told on Jessa, one of my goals was to buy a vacation rental. And every time I talk to her, it's like, how are you doing with that goal? How are you doing with that goal? Because I, I well, want to go there. I know. I we're going to go. I we're, selfishly like, can you just buy one? So is that why you go? asked me that? Not to hold me accountable <laughs> just because you want to visit my vacation rental. That's round. correct. <laughs> but, but anyway, it is something that's on my goal set and it is something that's going to happen. But you know, right now there's a lot of being a lot of conversation, a lot of banter. I wanted to give a, a, a shout out to a book that's being that's published by Bigger Pockets. Uh, Avery Carl, we've had her on our uh, Facebook Lives, we've had her on uh, tons of different things through our face our investor community. But she's the author of a new book by Bigger Pockets called um, "Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth: Your Guide to Analyzing, Buying, and Managing Vacation Properties." I am so selfishly excited about this book because it's an area that I want to learn more about. But she is she runs a short-term shop and she is an expert in this area. She's she's grown her business from a short-term rental perspective significantly. And now she's helping other people uh, do the same, buy vacation rentals, et cetera. So just want to give a big shout out to this book, to Avery and, and all the good work she's doing in this topic. And I'm just selfishly so excited about it. But you can check it out at uh, theshorttermshop.com. You can also check it out through Bigger Pockets in September is being released. So really excited for her and excited about all the great content there. So we're going to have more, more on that. Uh, we'll have her on some Facebook Lives and some webinars this fall, but excited about that. So I wanted to give a quick shout out about that. Avery is awesome. I had a live with her and she just pours so much. And I was like, listen, there's so much content here that we can go on and on again. So this book is full of of strategies and she's super knowledgeable. I highly recommend check it out because I will. Even though I've been doing Airbnb for a long time, doesn't matter, right? You always want to get more information and support people on their projects. Okay, very cool. So uh, Chelsea, so excited having you on. You know, I, I think what I, I love having 
all, you know, obviously we, we interview women on our show. What I love about uh, having so many different types of women talk about different things is that we're, we're all about three focuses, right? Obviously, real estate investing is our core, uh, but then business strategies is, is, is also very important. We don't want women to be treating their, their, their investments like a hobby, but how do you do that? So there's a business element of, of content that we provide and talk about. And then there's this like self-care element. But, but all around it is like the, the relationship to money beyond what investments you choose, right? The relationship to money. And I think that is, is what we're going to be talking about today and what your expertise is in. So as we jump into you, jump into your story, Chelsea, tell us a little about how you got into the space of teaching about money and relationships to money. Like, how did this all start for you, right? Like you just wake up one day inspired to do it. Like what for you kind of kick this off for you to, you know, kind of give your, your time and energy to, to helping, especially women figure out their relationship with money. So I've been always, always been fascinated by the world of money. I read my first economics book when I was 12. My dad's business partner gifted me a whole bunch of books about investing when I was 13. And I just loved it. And so when I graduated college, I went to Wall Street. I worked at Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. I was an equity analyst. I then moved on to be an investment manager at a hedge fund for a number of years. And from an intellectual perspective, I loved my work. Uh, from a work-life balance perspective, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and just from a just being able to give back to the community in the world and really living with my values at didn't fit well for me, especially once I had my first kid. But I was in this Facebook group of women. I love communities of women. Uh, but I was in this group, it was about 250 women, all of whom had their first kid in the same month I had my first kid. Mm. And we've been in this group together all across the country since early in our pregnancies. And over the time we'd been in that group, and at that point we'd been in there for about a year and a half together, I had become the go-to people person to answer people's money questions. And I realized how much stress comes from not properly managing your money, how much anxiety people have about money and about their careers and things like that. And so when I realized I needed some kind of secondary project, I needed to start planning a second act to my hedge fund life. I started a blog and I just actually, guys, I posted in the group and said, who has a money question they'd like to see me write an answer to? And within a day, we had over 60 questions. Oh my God. And so for the first 30 to 40 days on the blog, I posted every single day. I answered somebody's question every day. And it just grew to see how answering some of these questions really relieved a lot of anxiety for people or unlocked some inner issues, right? And I just love to see the interaction And I'm a big believer that women, specifically moms, are a good way to change generational narratives when it comes to money because our kids look to their parents to learn about money, but they particularly see their moms spending and managing most of the money. In two out of three households, women are the ones who manage the budget, right? And that's in heterosexual households, obviously in single parent households, that's Mm -hmm. how that works. And so if we can get women and moms have really positive, healthy relationships with money and align their money with their values, that will be modeled for their kids and get passed down and really start to change these narratives we have about money. And so uh, about nine months after starting the blog, I left my job right before my second child was born. Mm. Uh, That was scary. We could talk about that. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. So we went from really, really good hedge fund income to zero overnight. Uh, but we kind of had built our parachute to, to give us two years of runway. And now it's, you know, it's been an amazing, I've been doing this now for three and a half years full time and absolutely love it. There's so many questions that come to my head when you were talking <laughs> that I was like, oh, we can get that way. And now we can go that way. But like what really it's, it's the core for me in, in, in real estate and for the ladies that are listening, right? I feel like, you know, like when your house, it's not clean and you invite people over. You're not ready to have people over. Oh, I hate that. Like, hate that. Right? <laughs> hate that. I can't right? do that. 
I guys, think- that was my favorite meme from the pandemic, by the way. Did you see that? Like, we haven't, had to, we, we haven't had to panic clean for guests in a while and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. I love that. I feel that's kind of the same way with real estate when people really jumped in without having their finances in place. And then they're like, oh my gosh, all those extra expenses. Oh shit, the hot water heater broke. And then you have other heads and you uh, that property did not have any, any uh, reserves and other uh, tenant now it's leaving. And uh, you need to evict somebody. All those things that are part of the business, but you're not even financially prepared or aware about how to even deal with money. And you're like, oh, cash flow. Great. Let me get, I don't know, whatever product or and not think about long term. So if you identify with anything that I'm saying to you, or you are not investing yet in real estate because you're quote unquote house is not in order. Chelsea, where where is the start point? And is there a measure of like, okay, now it looks clear. Now let's invite people. Or is just like a untainable goal. It's an attainable goal. And so we talk about in our community the money hierarchy of needs. So most people are um, like Maslow? Exactly like Maslow's. But what we do is we take Maslow's and we show how each step of that is really a financial goal as well as a personal Mm. development goal. So bottom is physiological needs. That's you have a roof over your head and food in your mouth and appropriate clothes to wear, right? That's a bare minimum. If we're talking about investing in real estate, we probably got that covered. So let's move on to the second step, which is safety. And safety is the one that people overlook. And this is where you really have to build your foundation before you get into something like starting a real estate business, starting a big business. And so the easy places to think about here, are: do you have an emergency fund, right? Do you know where your money goes? Do you have proper insurance? But beyond that, where the other thing we want to think about in filling those holes, are we saving for retirement is another piece of that because are you safe today and are you safe in the future? Because people have a lot of anxiety of maybe they've covered their house for now, but they're already worrying about, they see all those articles about people being behind on retirement and it gives them a lot of anxiety. So thinking forward. But what we have people work through is what does financial safety and security mean to you? Because this is going to be different for every single person, right? For some people, owning their home outright with no mortgage, that's what feels safe to them, right? They have a place they can live that no one can take away from them. And maybe that meant that they had home insecurity when they were growing up, or there was some reason that that was... And sometimes when we talk about money people talk about just optimizing every dollar, right? And and they say like, we need to just heal whatever it is about housing insecurity that you have. And we want to do that work. But sometimes just soothing your inner child, inner peace mm-hmm. is valuable, right? We don't need to optimize every single dollar. We need to optimize your dollars to work for you. Another one that comes up a lot is food, right? So maybe you have plenty of money now, right? Maybe somebody's listening to this already has seven rental properties and you're building wealth and you're doing amazing, but yet, your food, your fridge is always full of food. Your pantry is full of food. And people are asking like why you have so much food waste. Mm. Food waste is a problem. We don't want that. But if you are someone who growing up had periods of time where you don't have food, someone coming in and trying to tell you how to cut your food budget and cut waste, maybe for you, when you open the fridge and there's white space, you go into a panic place, right? And so Mm. for you, it's not just about cutting your food budget. It's about figuring out how do we balance the two? How do we make sure that you feel safe? And so these are some really kind of more beginning things. But if you're building your foundation, 
We want to have an emergency fund. We want to make sure we know where our money goes. We want to make sure we have the right insurance. But then we want to ask the next stage question of what does it take for us to feel safe so that when we go to reach up to the next level, we go to buy that rental property, we go to do something, we are secure to handle the ups and downs because there will absolutely be ups and downs in any kind of business that you run. That's correct. Let's <laughs> highlight that. <laughs> um, and covering your bases in that way, not just in the way that is like prescribed as basic financial advice, but that works for you and your issues and your partner's issues. It'll make it a lot less panic inducing when things happen. Yeah, this is so this is a big topic. I mean, I, I think about what do they say? The, the biggest reason people, uh, couples fight is over money. Right. And then you think about like, okay, so then you unpack that, right. They're, they're fighting about money, but then like, there's so much money story that they grew up with. Right. And, and, you know, I know you, you touched on that too, and talked about it during our, our summit. And I think about my own money story. So when, when, when I love what you're saying in terms of the hierarchy of needs and the, the sense of like security and like, if, 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 if I'm, if I'm listening to this and I say, okay, I know that there was things that happened as a kid but now I'm an adult. Like, why do I even need to really go there and figure that out? What are some of those like important things they need to answer for themselves so they can look at their money story and get clarity? What safety means to you? I love that because I think that that answer is so different, but I think the answer has a lot to do with how we were raised, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and is that working or not for us? So beyond that though, my question to you is when, when we want to look at how we treat money now, what are the important things to look back on so we can get clarity, we can get some information and we can move forward. Not to like stay there as a 10 year old or what have you, because that doesn't, it's not useful for anyone, but still you have to kind of un- unpack some things so you know where to go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's your thought process or don't you and just need to look at it for today? Like, what would you say about that in terms of your own money relationship, looking back to look forward? So we get a lot of people that are reticent to look back. Either A, they think they didn't have a problem, right? Like everything was fine. I didn't learn yeah. anything about money as a kid. I question that. Maybe you're not ready. If you're not ready, the first exercise I would say is how do you feel about how you use money today? And so word association games are really helpful here. It's something we do in our, our mindset courses of, okay, when I say budget, when I say invest, when I say wealth, how do you feel? What's your reaction? You're going to notice a couple things. Uh, first off, we are really bad at connecting with emotions in our society. We're getting better. We're seeing more conversations <laughs> yeah. about mental health, but you're going to start to play this word association game. And the first two or three words you write down aren't going to be emotions. They're going to be adjectives. Uh, and mm. you're going to realize that I'm not even naming emotions. I'm just naming <laughs> things, right? <laughs> and so we need to help you have an emotion word bank because it's hard. Um, so pull your emotions. How do you feel about money? And then I want you to print your last couple credit card statements, right? And I want you to go through line by line and I want you to mark one to 10. How do you feel about that expense after the fact? 10 being, this was amazing. I would do it again. No questions asked. It made me so happy. And one being like, was I possessed? What? Why did I spend money on this? Like what happened? Okay. And I want you to scale it and go through and say like, listen, I've got a lot of two to fours on here and my money's not going where I want it to go. And okay, I've got a few seven, eight, nine, tens. How do I bring more of that into my life, into my budget? And you're going to start to see that there's relationships because then the question you can say is, why am I buying all these two through fours? Is it because I think somebody else expects me to? Is it because it's habit? Is it because I'm trying to please a parent or a figure or another figure in our lives? Why are we spending money on things that don't matter? So that's a way to focus on today eventually we have to go back. And the reason for that is that our core money beliefs, research shows are set around age seven. 
Can we shift them? Yeah, but we're going to have to do the work I'm about to tell you about. And mm. so because those things are set at age seven, think if you have kids and you have a kid who's been seven or is almost seven. My son is seven right now. So okay. I'm listening. Liz, you're it. ready. This is it. That's I'm in. Our chance, I'm in. <laughs> you know, when they say something and you're like, where the heck did you get that? Like, how are you looking at this situation? And that was the assumption you made. That kid in that brain with that limited perspective is making huge assumptions about how money works in the world and it is rooting in their brain and it is going to run on a loop until adulthood if we don't pay attention to it, right? If we don't address it. And so while we can say everything is mostly fine, there is a voice there and we may not agree with it. And when we pull it out, it might not even be traumatic. Maybe your life was fine, but you made an assumption with the perspective of a seven-year-old that doesn't work for you anymore, right? Is something that um, just doesn't fit. And there's also this concept of what we call saboteurs. And so saboteurs um, were made popular by the guy's name. His last name is Shiraz. I can't remember his first name, but they were basically things that kept us safe and functional as kids but as adults have moved into something that are no longer keeping us safe. Is it right. like a survival type of mode? Yeah, it can be. It depends on, on your childhood. But so for me, we've talked about, we talked about in your show and I'll mention to you, to everybody here, my big money mindset struggle was that wealth and money equals worthiness, right? I had a parent who idolized wealth and who really wanted that to be the thing. Success and wealth was important. Was it and- a gamer, right? a game that you went to buy in the game shop and then yes. dad, you did not buy it and your dad says, I'm proud of you. Exactly. So that was the root of my memory, right? I had saved up a bunch of money for this Game Boy. We went to the store. I freaked out because I am a natural saver. And instead of encouraging me to take the hard work and success that I saved this money and enjoy it, he was proud, right? And so that was the beginning root of Okay, if I'm someone who denies myself things I like and save my money, I will get praise and and life. So I grew up and for a while that served me really well. I was a saver. I stacked money up. I got attention from parents and I did enter adulthood with a good amount of savings, right? I worked through high school. I chose a good job that would pay me well. And it did give me a lot of opportunities. But then we reach a point, right? Where I was at the hedge fund and I'm working at a job that doesn't fulfill me and I'm not seeing my kids. And had I not healed that story, I never would have been able to leave my job, right? Because I had prestige, I had wealth, but I wasn't enjoying my money. And so I had to go back, find that story, honor the things that it did bring me, and change my change my mindset to move forward, right? And so when we we don't want to go sit in our 10-year-old brain, but we do want to peel back. What are your original money memories? What assumptions did you make about money in that moment? And is this a lesson that serves you now? Is this a lesson you would want to teach your kids? And then we can start to build habits that change those stories for you. So often we have people who, you know, they are building their base. They want to do something like leave their job to start a business or buy their first real estate property. And so they need to get a handle on their finances. And so they Google best budgeting app and they download it and it doesn't work, right? They're hitting a wall. (laughs) And so then they come to me and they're like, I can't budget. I'm just terrible at budgeting. And it's often not that. It's that there's some root saboteur issue that they're undermining themselves or their money is not aligned with what they actually need to feel safe and secure and happy. And so they're trying to fit somebody else's idea of an ideal budget into their life and it doesn't fit. And so their budget fails. And so these are the type of work that we have to do to get started and make sure that we've built our foundation in that when something goes wrong, right? So say you're a natural security seeker. When you buy your real estate property and all of a sudden the hot water heater goes, 
where your brain goes is actually not normally problem solving mode, right? It's not like, okay, where are we going to find the money to, to deal with this water heater? This is a pain in the butt, but like we got to deal with it. We go into panic, right? Because we're undermining what is our security seeker mind telling us to do. If, why did I buy this thing? It's just going to be so much money. This is, a, this is a horrible idea. I'm a bad investor. And it doesn't allow us to learn and grow from it. We go into panic. And so when you've identified what those money fears and money stories are, when something happens, it gives you a moment to take a breath and say, hey, wait, hold on. This is my 10-year-old voice. I'm not in that place anymore. What's the first step I could take to fix this problem? It just gives you a little bit of breathing room to instead of make choices based on fear and impulse, to make choices based on what do you actually want? Mm. That's great. That's very powerful. I mean, I think that's so critical for us investors. <laughs> I think about so much of like my 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 experience, and I'm sure Jessica could connect with this. But like, yeah, I mean, if you're not clear on that, you're going to learn about it through the the actual property or through the deal or through the experience because you're. It all comes out, right? It all all of your own stuff comes out during these projects, <laughs> whether you're thinking about it or not thinking about it. So why as well, might as well set yourself up for success. Um, And the thing is, Liz, a lot, it comes up for a lot of people, but they don't deal with it. And it means that they sell their rental property and they never go back and manage real estate or they quit their business right before it could have made them a lot of money, but they just didn't listen to what was coming up. And so it really sets you up for a better chance of success when you've done that work. Yeah. I want to give you a specific example in real estate about this that I see over and over again. Okay. So I see people buying properties to apply the birth strategy. The numbers do not work, but they make the numbers work by reducing the construction cost. Meaning, you know, you do know that there is a leak, that bathtub that was glazed over and over again. There's a leak there, but you glaze it again you just put a lipstick on it and then when the ceiling downstairs starts dripping and then you're like oh oh <laughs> the tin is like there's a leak and again you try to say oh how can we patch you keep patching and patching and patching and then you're like where and I see like people asking for help. What should I do here? And people tell you right away, rip it, put a new tub in, make mm-hmm. sure that all the pipes are, are, are good. You've got to deal with it. You need to pay for the tenants to go to a hotel because it didn't deal with that. But I see it over and over again, as you're saying, people don't deal with it. And I'm not talking about the bathroom. I'm talking about the mindset, like this quote unquote cheap not frugal, cheap, that you are trying to save here, but it's going to catch up later, later on. And it's, there's, you can't hide it. It's going to catch up, but people don't want to deal with it. So my question to you is, we can see it, but sometimes people cannot see their blind spots. So what is the best way for us to help the person? Because really like telling, like, listen, you've got to change this freaking bathtub stop patching. Like mm. it's going to continue leaking. It's not working. The person like, you know, I'm just going to patch this time. How can we powerfully and kind uh, change the mindset or, or, or is it, I don't know if that's our duty. 
to change other people's mindset or not. Yeah. So this comes up a lot with partners. Mm. Hey, my husband, my wife, my partner has mindset issues. Mm -hmm. How do I get them to do this work? Right. You can't make other people ready to do this work. Um, And I think this is one of those things that's hard, right? It's we're peeling back some things that are going to feel kind of crappy for a little while, right? Even if we thought things were fine, we're going to find those root, the issue, the little issue, the leaking bathtub that you find in your rental house, right? You're going to find these issues. And if someone's not ready to do that work, it's just like therapy, right? Like you can't like force somebody to go to therapy (laughs) and it's going to work. They have to be ready to do the work. I think if you want to cue them into that, sharing your experiences can be really helpful. Um, Hey, you know, I signed up for this course and I've been working on this and I can't believe that this, I've been carrying around this money story forever. Don't ask them to go through their whole history. Don't just show them a little bit about it and say, or say like, Hey, I watched this YouTube video. I listened to this podcast on, on the real estate investor podcast talking about mindset. Um, and it really changed the way I was thinking about my money stuff right now. Like, do you want to listen to it? Give them the option and then show them your progress. And and normally this is going to be someone close in your life, right? If you're in a Facebook group and about real estate and somebody's posting about this and you comment something like, it sounds like you really need some money mindset work. That person's not listening to you. Like that's not, um, they have to be ready to do the work, but if it's someone in your life, you can model that growth, right? And Mm. you can tell them about it, um, in pieces and you can kind of just let them watch you change. And often they will get ready. They will see, Hey, how did you pay off that credit card? Hey, how did you buy that rental property? They'll eventually ask you that question and then you can answer them. Wait till there's an opening. But yeah, this is one of those really hard things that once you see it in yourself, you're going to start to see it in other people and you have to give them the space to do that work on their own time, especially because what you see from the outside is not what it's like to live in that person's head. And so, especially when you start to try to prescribe what their money mindset issue is, you're often going to be wrong. You have to let them, you have to give them the option, give them the space and they'll do the work when they're ready. Well, that's really powerful. Like I know for me and my husband, we took a course, the, um, and I'm just saying you went through it, the um, yeah. TR Becker's course on, um, so I forget the name of it, but you basically are figuring Millionaire out, Mindset? Yes, yep. Millionaire Mindset. Thank you. And Guys, you, I was you, on an interview right before this interview. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. literally brought the same seminar. <laughs> so That's yeah, it's twice in one day. You're like, yeah, this is, but we, but, but during it, I, I just, this was a pivotal moment for us in that we both were there mm-hmm. and we both had this common language of like the spender versus the, the saver mm-hmm. and what happens around that. And a lot of how we were raised and so much conversation happened around that. It was so helpful for us. We knew that about each other, but to like say it and then to say, well, how does this, Positive and negative, because being a saver has its positives, has its negatives. Being a spender has its positives and negatives. But the point, what I want to just make is that, or even and to just follow up and ask you is, there's a time to spend, there's a time to save, and we have to like lean on each other's strengths. I mean, I'm a big personality assessment person, and there's strengths within all of us. But like the money personality is a strength. Like there are times I need to default to my husband. He naturally will spend more than I will, even now, even if I'm, I'm working on that, but it's still not my natural way of just let's spend. So I need to trust that he, or again, the other person, right. doesn't have to be he or she, because it could be the other way around Women could be the spender and then the, the guy or, or vice versa, whatever kind of relationship you're in, someone's a spender, someone's a saver. My point in saying that is just that we have to be really 
like we have to lean on that strength too, not make the person wrong for it, you know, mm-hmm. or, or they should be the other thing, you know? So how do you see that playing out with partners, business partners, and also just partners, you know, uh, in, in a, in a relationship, um, do they lean on that? Do they, do they try to come to the middle? Like, what, what do you think the recipe is for working through that as a, as a partnership? Both are spenders, both are savers. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of ways you can slice and dice this. All right, let's go to the root of this for a second. I hate right. spender saver labels. All I think they're right. really like damaging okay. for relationships. I think we have natural inclinations, but okay. I think what we do often in money lessons, often when we're trying to deal with our partner is we take that label. I am a spender. And mm. then it becomes who we are and changing that behavior is really hard. I am a saver. So let's take a saver mindset for a second because that's you, Liz. If you have internalized that you are a saver, even if you have the money to buy something that you enjoy, you're fighting against what you believe your core person to be, right? And then you can't actually enjoy spending the money. That's a negative thing. Having a saver inclination is different. And what we tell people is that almost everyone has areas of their life where they are a spender and areas of their life where they are a saver. And so instead of bringing into this, like, I am this thing, Mm, I challenge you to figure out what's important to you. Where can you spend more money and where is it more important for you to save more money? Now you and your partner are going to have different areas of life where those things are important. Um, and where we spend money. Actually, one of my favorite, um, stories we have close friendly friends growing up my parents' age. And one day the husband came home and he's like, oh, the house looks great. And his wife kind of freaked out. And she was like, what do you mean? It's a total mess. I can't believe you can never see what's wrong in the house. Like you just don't help. They got in this huge argument. And Todd, I love him to pieces. He's a great guy, but he was very calm. And he was like, come with me. And so they went outside and they went to the backyard and he goes, what do you see? And she's like, the yard looks great. You always work on the yard. And he was like, Okay, those bushes need to be trimmed. That ivy's growing, overgrowing, and I got to rip it out. There's, and he started naming things, and he's like, This is important to me, and I know what I manage, and I'm involved in it. I can see what needs to be fixed. You have always taken care of the house, and I have different standards of clean. And so, yeah, I don't see the little things, but you don't see the little things in the backyard. And this comes into all, first of all, I think I thought that was just an amazing, like, way to equalize when we have to talk to our partners, but this comes into money too, right? Where I could get upset that my husband spends, I could, I would get upset that he spends $800 on a tool because to me, I'm like looking at the shelf. I'm like, well, there was the same one that was $300. And he knows that that's not the same tool. Um, But but there's all different carriers of our lives. And so figuring out what's important to your spouse, what are their natural habits and figuring out how to split responsibilities in a way that works for you both. Now, this requires Mm. you both to do some mindset work. Um, This requires you both to talk about your family money values. This is actually a free exercise. We can link for you guys in the show notes. Um, We have a family money values exercise where you work with your partner or with your kids to outline what matters to you and what your strengths and values are. But um, you have to know those things and you have to be willing to give up some control. And so sometimes when someone's been the money manager in the house, their whole relationship, finding places where you really have to hand over the reins in certain things can be difficult, but it's honoring each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. And where this comes into mindset is, I think we talked about this at the summit, guys, of the woman who kept getting in arguments with her husband at the dinner table. And so she'd bring up something she thought was completely innocuous, like, hey, the vet bill came in today. And he would get angry and his body language would change and they'd have these arguments. 
And it turned out once they started to do this work. And so for them, the way it worked is she started watching our mindset course and she was often watching it on the couch at night after the kids went to bed. And so he was hearing pieces of it while he was doing whatever he wanted to do. (laughs) And then he wanted to watch the course, right? So they did it together. And what came out for him was that his entire childhood, his parents argued about money at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And so even if she wasn't trying to start an argument, money coming up at the dinner table was a hard pass for him. Like it just wasn't going to work. It was going to trigger all kinds of stuff. And so for them, switching the conversation to, they said a weekly meeting, he knew when it was coming. It was not at dinner. It was after the kids went to bed. So they weren't even listening. And that solved like a huge number of their problems because then they were both ready to have that conversation. And so you have to identify each other's strengths and start to figure out where each other fit. But I think that we do need to lean on each other a lot more than we do, especially if you are the quote unquote saver and you're viewing your spouse as the spender, they are not the bad guy. They have money skills that can help you guys build wealth. You just have to pull out what they are. I like what you're saying. And I kind of like pull some memories. I remember like my Italian grandfather, he would always say um, when we were having dinner, any any meal, like table on the table, it's not the time to talk about money. And, and we still do this all the time. My mom always say when I, sometimes I bring something, she's like, we're eating. I mean, she's not saying this is not the right time, but she's saying we are eating. And then I'm like, okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. As if it is something that, but I respect that in that sense. It was like, okay, money and meals, I guess don't go together. But it's just like, okay, so what time we're going to talk about this? So I love that it's setting up a, a, a time for for it. One thing and that I want to... And this, I just want to jump in. This really depends on your family, right? And so for your guys' family, maybe money and meals don't work. We have some great money discussions at the dinner table, right? We have questions we bring up to the boys of like, if you, if I gave you $50, what would you spend it on? And here the boys yeah. start to figure out, I think it can be a really great healthy place if it's not triggering anything for anybody at the table. And if you set some ground rules, right? Like, hey, I really want the kids to know about our budget and our money values and I want to talk about it, but I really don't want to talk about our debt at the table. Like, I think it's just too stressful. I don't think they're old enough. So let's set some barriers around Mm. that. So much of this is just communication and figuring out what fits for you. Love it. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. 
Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. And I want to go that route about kids, right? Because we we want to make sure we are setting up the example and not, not messing them up if that's even possible um, at age six or, or seven. One thing that I really want to bring this here a little bit deeper than we talked during the summit, um, we all know about piggy banks and the importance that we have about like saving, but it was really uh, a pivot moment when during the summit you mentioned, think about it, you're just quote unquote, teaching the child how to save only if you have only one piggy bank. Mm-hmm. Instead, you recommended different jars, cherry jar, investment jar or long-term jar or whatever different different jars it was and depending on the age. And I thought that that was really brilliant. And I want to bring that conversation here because Many, many women that joined our community after the summit. Sorry, you guys missed it, but next okay. year is going to be in person. It's going to be even better. So don't don't miss that one. But for, for the ladies that were not part of that conversation, let's let's talk about that because many of us, we have, you know, big piggy banks <laughs> for our children. But we are setting the the tone for the saving and the impact of that. I think that we need to re- Rethink. I encourage women to rethink about uh, that strategy that you mentioned there. Can you please just summarize it for for us again and share uh, the importance of it? Sure. So let's talk about saving first. I think a lot of parents start to teach their kids about money and their view as an adult is we need to teach them to save, right? We got into adulthood, we got into our careers and realized we weren't taught about saving. We weren't taught about compound interest. And so we need to get going. And so we look at our kids and we're like, we should teach them that lesson now, how important it is to save. Unfortunately, we end up building a lot of negative mindsets when we focus on the saving, like you were just saying. And so what happens is, let's say you have that piggy bank and the kid's never allowed to touch it, right? And so to them, they get money, it goes in this jar and they it's just gone. It's like to six, seven-year-old brain, my money has been taken from me, right? And that builds a really negative relationship with money. And this idea that like, if I don't spend it, as soon as I get it, it will go in this jar and it will be gone. Like that is like, <laughs> to a six-year-old, that's what happens, right? And yeah. so then you get these impulse spenders. And so there's that part. 
And then there's the part where we are saving for goals that are way too long for them. We're looking at our six, seven, eight-year-olds and we're like, we're going to put this in your college fund. We're going to put this in your car fund. We're going to put this in your retirement. And they like can't mentally think past like six months I just in the future. want Mario Brother game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so once again, to them, it feels like my money disappears. And so instead... Um, and this is a very popular method. This is not my method, but it's the three jars. So if you have a save jar, a give jar, and a spend jar, that's where you start. Over time, some people add an investing jar. For us in our house, our kids are three and five. We won't add an invest quote unquote jar until we move them to digital allowance, which we can talk about why I think digital allowance is ultimately an important thing for kids um, until we move them to digital. But they have their three jars and each jar has a job. And we talk through every week with allowance. We don't just hand them money and walk away. Parts of this is because our kids are young, but even even as they're older, we don't want them to, we don't want to do that with them. And so um, they get a dollar per year of age, unless it makes the math hard for me. And so my five-year-old gets $6 because I'm not spilling $5 into three jars. Right. And so for our weekly process, I, we sit down, I give him his $6. He has his jars out in front of me. He first has to split them into three equal piles. We did some math here, right? He's $2, $2, $2. And then he has to tell me what each jar is for. Okay. And so he starts, he always has to put money in his save jar first. That goes first. And he tells me that saving is when you really want something that's expensive that you can't get if you want it right now. That's one way he explains it. And the whole goal of teaching kids about saving is teaching them to delay gratification. At the beginning, maybe that's six weeks. And as they get older, it's years. And then when they're 13, they are ready to save for a car in three or four years. They are ready to think about college because they've built that grit delayed gratification muscle. So he tells me that. Then we go to share and share his answers for this are always adorable depending on what it is. But basically he gives me some kind of answer of this is money we use to make other people's lives better, make other people happy. And so he puts his dollars in and then we do his spend jar and he can talk about what he might be able to buy with his spending. And so the part of the spend jar that's important is you have to give them some autonomy around spending. So sometimes we see parents give their kids spending money and there's no guidelines about what that money is for. And so what that means is you get to Target and they see that toy. And now you're not having an argument about whether or not someone, whether you're going to buy it. You're having an argument of who's going to pay for it. And he's standing there like, I think you should buy this for me. And you're like, well, mm -hmm. I gave you money for you to buy your own thing. <laughs> and so for us at their age, it's, we don't buy anything in, in aisles of checkouts. Um, if it's not a birthday or a holiday and we're not at a family event, like, then it's got to be their money. And so they know what that spending money is for. And so he might tell me like, I really want to get a lollipop when we go grocery shopping this week. And like, that's what I'm going to put some spend money aside for. And so they understand the impulse, uh, the, the intention of each jar um, and they're saving for specific things. And so this is the same, just like we were saying saving, we want it to be something that's relevant to them. You mentioned, um, I want to get the Mario game. Currently Henry's five, he's saving for Ninjago Lego sets, like a $60 Lego set. It's the biggest yes. thing he's ever saved for. That's um, so he's saving for that and he has a chart and I've got a Lego block for each of the $60. And when he puts them in the jar, he colors it in. He can see how close he's getting. And it has a picture of the thing he's saving for at the top. This is also valuable if they're kids because they forget, right? Um, and then the three-year-old is saving for a real toolbox, which is really, he's gotten sick of his plastic fake toys and he wants like a real, he wants a real hammer and a screwdriver and something else. So he's saving for that. And so they color that. And, and then for giving, we make it something that speaks to them. So in our house and, and many, many, I'm sure you guys as well have charities that you donate to as a family, things causes that you support, they may or may not speak to your kids. Um, and that money often doesn't have a direct result, right? Because as adults, we're giving money into a general fund to support these causes. 
And so for kids, it's really great to pick something that they love. Do they love animals and you want to go drop off uh, dog toys or dog food to the local dog shelter? Do you want to give money to a friend, right? You see, you know, he saw his friend was sad that day and he wanted to buy them an ice cream or whatever it is. It's all about just like showing that money can be used to make other people's lives better. Um, and so that's kind of how we work the system, but we want them to just have as much practice as possible. And when it comes to saving, we're just building that habit of, hey, if I put money away, I get really cool things in the future because that's basically what retirement is, right? Like as much <laughs> as we're thinking 30 years in ahead, we're like, I really want to be able to travel in retirement. And so I'm going to put money away to get to do, do cool things. Not like, oh, I have to save for retirement. And that means yeah. I don't get to enjoy my money. Love this. I love the, um, yeah, we're, we, we, we do, I, I, we do a similar process around the, like the jars. We have the invest jar too, even though that's a conceptual thought in, in my son's seven. But here's my question, because I think there's different schools of thought on allowance. And we might need like another interview to just dive into allowance. <laughs> allowance. Yes. But like, so, so when you give them, I'm curious. So when you give your older son the $6, it's close in age, you're giving him $6 a week. And what's the reasoning you're giving that money? How do you describe that? Mm. So we do it a couple different ways. One of which is that it's important for him to learn about money and this is his practice. Okay. So he understands practice, right? He does like practices other things. Um, and we tell him that he's part of, we. he's he's exposed to a lot more money things, right? So like yeah, for sure, sure. But one of the examples we give him is he's part of the household economy. And so as part of the household, he gets to manage some of the money. And when he's five, that's $6 a week. When he's older and we're thinking about generational wealth, we want him to have more say in the things that we do. And we want him to be a college student that comes and helps with the rental property or something like that, that views like this kind of household economy. But for now, he gets to manage $6. Um, so but you we don't do, even call it, you don't even call it an allowance. We do call, uh, he, he calls it allowance, okay. um, but he, he knows he gets it because of the household economy. I like that. I think for me, I haven't done allowances with my kids at all. Three and seven. I have just, I've avoided it because I feel like it's a handout. I don't know why I have some hangups about that. Maybe I should, maybe I should explore that with you, Chelsea, but I just do. I have some hangups about Did this. you get it when you were? I younger? did. I you did. I did. And I, what were the rules off. about it? Oh, you had to do your certain jobs, but I'm like, you got to do certain jobs in our house because you're a family member. You live here. Not because like, I almost feel like where I'm paying my kids, my hang up, I know this is not about Liz, but my hang up is you pay, you, you're giving out the money as an allowance for something they should just do because they're part of our family, not because they're getting the money. Again, that's why we that's, don't tie it to chores. Okay. So you don't tie it to, okay. Cause that's my hang up. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But meanwhile, I haven't even talked about it. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. But all right, God, I'm so glad we're having this interview. <laughs> <laughs> we don't tie it to chores. There are many reasons. The first is, I'm raising two young boys who are going to grow up and be men. And I do not want them to think that they do chores because there's a report. That's <laughs> right? what I feel too. Exactly. But you're not going to have You're going to take the garbage out because you're going to take the garbage out. That's right. Yeah. Love that. Also, okay. let's think about um, what throws allowance off. What makes allowance not a good teaching tool? And often it's that it's inconsistency. We set up a system that's too complicated or whatever. And so we do it for a little while and then we stop and then we don't do it again. And what we're teaching our kids, we talk about that money mindset, we're teaching them that money is inconsistent and unreliable. Mm -hmm. And that's a really damaging thing. And so when I think about allowance and chores, um, what happens is your kid is going to learn how to do the bare minimum to get paid for their allowance. And so right. you, as mom or dad or whoever, 
as, as the adult in their life is going to have to walk into their room every week and be like, Oh, did you clean it enough to get your allowance? Did you clean it enough to get part of your allowance? Oh, and geez. the mental energy that goes into that is like, nobody has the time. I and, don't want to look underneath the bed. And it's another way that's inconsistent, right? Yeah. Because then you get siblings who are like, he didn't clean his room and you gave him allowance, but last week you didn't give me, just let it be and, and in your own head. Instead of thinking about it as a handout, this is an investment in your family economy, right? If you want to mm. build gen- generational wealth, you, I am willing to spend six bucks a week or end beyond as he gets older and that money gets bigger for him to learn the money lessons so that all the hard work I'm doing to build family wealth, I know it's going to be well-managed because they are going to have the tools and resources and they're going to value money in a way that will carry that legacy forward. Oh, I love that, Chelsea. You just totally had, I, I had all these like hangups about it and now you pulled it all together. So uh, if, ladies, if you're not getting anything out of this uh, interview, I have. So this has been very time. <laughs> all right, we're done. <laughs> and we're done now. Chelsea, this has been amazing. Seriously, I think, I, though I think what you're saying is so helpful because, you know, a, a, the women that that listen to our show and follow us and are in our community have this like economy abundant, like, you know, they're looking, you know, if they're investing in real estate, right, they're moving towards that, or at least that thinking, or they're already thinking that way. So they probably have that hang up too, in some ways, like, I don't want to just hand things out. But I love your idea of not tying it to chores, tying it to the to the actual household economy, love that and starting it as soon as possible. So but we so appreciate you being on with us again, and just sharing all your great, great knowledge and tips and strategies. So where can all the women listening learn more about you and all the amazing things you're doing? Absolutely. So we are smartmoneymamas.com and we're at smartmoneymamas on all social media platforms. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Feel free to DM me, reach out. Um, if you want to get started with your family money values, I'll send uh, Liz and Andresa the link to that. Um, that's a good place to start an, intro- an introduction to how we think about money in our community. But we just love to have you and have you keep working to change these kind of money stories we all carry around. I love it. And all this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Chelsea, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? Ooh. So the most transformational book I ever read was called The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. Um, It was very funny. My mom gifted it to me when I was struggling with uh, what I wanted to do for work. And she was like, this is a little woo-woo for you but I think you should read it. And she really talks about getting into how you want to feel, what matters to you, and then using that to build your goals and having your guiding light not be owning eight rental properties, but having your guiding light be feeling this way because your goals do pivot over time. And so anyway, so that book was very, very transformational to me. I've gifted it to many people since then. Awesome. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free in balanced life, whatever balance may see you. Ooh, okay. So uh, the tip I'll give you is we split a, a few years ago. Um, we always have spending money. My husband and I have marked, earmarked spending money. Uh, but even then, neither of us were really spending it. And we felt weird about spending it. That was our own security seeker. And so a couple of years ago, we split out. We have separate bank accounts just for spending money. We use a free bank, very simple digital app. And the money goes in there. And it is completely ours after that point. This has made it so that we can enjoy our money and the money we set aside for spending way more because it's separated from what our other goals are. We know it's there. We know we don't even have to answer to each other about what that money gets used for. And it's been a great way to create some freedom and joy in managing money, which has actually let us stick to some of our bigger goals even more closely because we're not 
you know, we're not looking at money as just something that we'll enjoy in the future. We're enjoying it now too. That's great. And last question is, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Ooh, that's a really good question. There's so many. And now I'm trying to pick who I want to talk about. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is an interesting choice. Uh, based on what I ended up doing for work. But when I was in high school, I really wanted to do work about the Supreme Court. I loved law and just her leadership from the court, all the work that she's done, uh, being a working mom, being a working woman at an age when it wasn't popular and getting on the highest court of the land. She's just been an absolutely inspirational person. Um, And what she's done for women in this country as a whole has been amazing. So I I love her. I love her too. I just a couple of months ago, I finished uh, listening to her biography. She's funny. Her husband, it's so funny. Their relationship is just like to another level. So I got to know her in a completely different way. And she was in such a quote unquote serious position, but still like so funny (laughs) person. I was like, this is amazing. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for being with us today. And I, I feel that we can continue like this conversation for an entire day. We have so many other other questions, but I really want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I think that you just impact our relationships with our partners and most important for the children moving forward. And it's it's just really remarkable. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.